Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Plushcare.com slash weight loss. We had a, a lady bring her daughter to the masjid. A non-Muslim lady okay. brought her daughter to the masjid and said, I want my daughter to become a Muslim. A non-Muslim, a non-Muslim lady. lady. Really? Yeah, brought her daughter to the masjid and said, I want my daughter to become Muslim. Yeah. Because I want her to know right from wrong. And I want her to know like what is clear. Um, because Islam makes it clear. Yeah. And many of these young men, they say they're disciplined. You know, yeah. what, what is it that brings you to Islam? The discipline. Imam Ashraf Dabus. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullah and welcome to the Thinking Muslim. Barakallah alaikum for having me. It's an honor to be here with the array of guests that you've had prior to myself. Alhamdulillah, I'm blessed to, to join you. No, I, it's, it's wonderful to, to have you with us. And I think our listeners and viewers today will, will understand why we've invited you in uh, to, to do t- this show. Now, Imam Ashraf, it is quite evident that there's been an uptick in the number of people converting to Islam in recent months. Uh, This was really noticeable, I feel, in Ramadan, where it seemed that every day a young man was given his shahada and becoming Muslim. Ashhadu. Ashhadu. An. An. La. La. Ilaha. Ilaha. Illa. Illa. Allah. Allah. I've invited you in today because I want to understand this phenomenon, if indeed it is one. Mm. Uh, now, for those of our viewers who may not know you, Imam Ashraf Dabus is an uh, in, imam at Lewisham Mosque here in London. Uh, he studied at the Islamic University of Medina. He also studied privately under many scholars studying Hanbali and Hanafi fiqh, as well as other Islamic sciences. And uh, he recently graduated from Goldsmith University with a master's in CBT therapy uh, and uh, is a qualified counsellor. I would like to explore that maybe later on as well, inshallah. Imam Ashraf, thank you for coming in today. And I feel you can shed some light on this phenomenon of young men coming to Islam. Uh, many of those viral videos I saw in Ramadan uh, of shahadas came from Lewisham Masjid, which I know you are an imam of together with Imam Shakil Beg. Mm. Uh, and I'm going to link some of these uh videos in the show notes so that our viewers can see them. It was pretty noticeable that young men felt comfortable enough to come to the mosque and to embrace the deen. Mm. So I want to know what's behind this. Is there a noticeable uptick and how can other Muslim communities replicate this? So let's start. There's a lot to get through today. Actually, it's really for me. I'm surprised at what I'm saying. I shouldn't be, but I'm pretty surprised at what I saw during Ramadan. And I, I want to get to the bottom of what's going on. You know, why is it that if there is this uptick, there is a larger number of people becoming Muslim. Mm. What's behind that? So let's start from the top. Am I right here? Are we seeing 
more young people, British people, come into Islam here in in Britain. Yeah, so um, 100% um, over the last, I would say, I I think even going back before Ramadan, um, over the last few months, there's definitely been an uptake. And and it's interesting because you mentioned young men, um, but it's actually young men and women. Really? Um, But the... At Lewisham, anyway, um, most of the women we don't record, um, and if we do, it would it would be like um, kind of like a camera close to the shoulder, so you don't really see um, the image of of of, of uh, herself um, in the video. Sure. But there's definitely been an uptake, one hundred percent, and it's um, been a range of ages. Um, and I would suggest it's not only at Lewisham. I think it's been um, at multiple masajid. Really? So some of the masajid that I've been working in, other than Lewisham, yeah. Um, so Lewisham, I'm there most of the time. And I, and, and um, I have like weekly classes at other masajid and there have been shahadas there as well. Um, and young people have been telling me, you know, sending me messages, calling me, this person wants to take shahada, really? where do they go to, things like that. So yeah. definitely there's been an uptake. Um, how many roughly in Ramadan, how many men and women became Muslim? So in Ramadan alone, I would suggest maybe 60 to 70 um, young men and women. Really? And you mentioned there's been like a shahada video every day. Yes. Um, but that's because... Um, we're like you know releasing them slowly, right. but uh, on one particular day we had seven shahadas. Another day we had um, eleven, which was prior to Ramadan. Yes, and and it, it became it became like you kind of expect it. Yeah. Some days someone will come in after Asr, I'd like to become Muslim. After yeah. Maghrib, I'd like to become Muslim. After Isha, yeah. two, I'd like to become Muslim. Yeah. Um, and in fact, we had people attending the prayers yeah. um, and classes, and they weren't yet Muslim, and really? then taking their shahada. Um, after you know um, two or three uh, weeks, so definitely the case. So when you say did they come in, so these are cold callers. They just come in from the streets and yeah. So so that I guess it links to like why or how. Yes. Um, and so definitely, I think the masjid has a a role, a mm. major role. Yeah. But I think the majority um, of the role of the um, spreading of Islam is found within the members of the community. Really. Um, so the masjid perhaps um, develops the culture, the culture of calling others to Islam, yeah. the culture of making Islam relatable to the community, yeah. um, the culture of being welcoming. Um, you know, for example, Imam Shakir would often give reminders about the importance of not judging those who come into the masjid mm. because you might have someone comes into the masjid, they've got tattoos, mm. they're not dressed correctly. Mm. Um, you know, in some masjid, although now it's it's not really a big. Um, issue, but their hairs braided, you know, mm. a few years ago for some of the um, elderly attendees of the masjid, that would be an issue. Yeah. Um, and so there's a there's a there's kind of like a culture which is developed. Be welcoming. If you see someone that looks out of place, yeah. you know, welcome them, make them feel um, comfortable. Don't judge them. And you know the importance of da'wah. And slowly the community start to speak to their you know their neighbors, their friends, and um, they become Muslim. And I think the youth in particular, okay. the youth in particular have had a major role, really? um, which I think we'll probably touch upon. So, so these are youth from the local schools who come to your masjid, local exactly. colleges. Yeah, exactly. So these are people they know at school and college, who yeah. they interact with exactly. on a daily and, basis. And sometimes the Muslim youth are not actually from the area, really? but the individual is from the area. Ah. And so when you ask them, like, you know, what is it that, that led to your Islam? They'll say, my friends, really? you know, um, like young, and we're talking... 14-year-olds, um, 15-year-olds, um, maybe even 13. Serious? You know, yeah, young yeah. Muslim uh, boys and girls yeah. who are proud of their identity as yeah. Muslims. Yeah. They're praying in school. Um, you know, they're kind of living 
um, as Muslims to the best of their capacity at that age. Yeah. And these young men and women are taking note. And, um, you know, we've heard multiple times, multiple individuals have said, you know, s similar things when asked, why is it that you're becoming Muslim? And, and um, they've highlighted certain points. Yeah. So let's talk about causes then. So you've interacted with these people who yeah, embrace Islam. Yeah. I mean, I saw it was amazing when I saw mm. some of these videos of, you know, it, it I mean, for all Muslims, you know, no matter how many times we see someone embrace yeah, it's, Islam, it's, it's still amazing, right? Yeah. Um, what's what what reason? So you've said one reason mm. is you know their friendships. But what other reasons do these young men and women give when they are there young men and women, by the way, who are embracing Islam? I should have asked previously. Yeah. Uh, what's the age group of these? So the converts? youngest that that comes to mind um, over the last uh, within Ramadan, eight years old. Wow. Yeah, a young eight-year-old girl. Yeah. Um, and the oldest, um, I mean, we've had individuals in their thirties. We've had someone. Um, I believe she was in her seventies. Perhaps Michelle. we've had a few uh, yeah? actually. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and most recently, a. Uh, a, a, a young man, maybe not middle-aged, but like in his 30s, yeah. um, uh, became Muslim. Yeah. And um, a few weeks later, his mother became Muslim. She, yeah, she read the Quran like twice in English and, and she became Muslim. Yeah. Um, and the young eight-year-old girl, her father became Muslim a, a good few years ago. Okay. Um, and he's actually quite well known um, publicly because yeah. he's very active. I won't mention his name because huh. I haven't asked his permission. Yes. But yeah. Um, so he brought his daughter in because his daughter said, I want to become Muslim, um, daddy, you know, seeing him live his Islam. Yes. And, and, um, and she came in and I spoke to her and she was, you know, like really intelligent. She took me aback. Yeah. I, was, I was surprised at how intelligent she was yeah. because you would assume an eight-year-old, how can they make a decision like that? Yeah. Um, but sometimes maybe we um, don't give young people their, you know, their due respect when it comes to their understanding of things in life. Yeah. Um, and um, so... We've had a, a range, you know, young and, and you know, old, if you yeah. want to use that term. But yeah. um, majority during Ramadan, definitely I would say young, young yeah. individuals. And these are young individuals who largely came to your masjid because members of your congregation probably, you know, have been making dawah at their school places yeah. and colleges and all just through their example, you know. The, yeah, it's yeah. the example. So the best da'wah is the lived da'wah. Really? And that's what we see with these young people. Yeah. You know, it's like um, um, a few of them, they've said, I, I saw, the, you know, the way my friends were, kind, generous. Right. Um, and, a, and a term that's come up very often, disciplined. Ah, you know, we've heard disciplined a lot. Really? Um, you know, the prayer, I watched them pray and, and I decided this is the life for me. Yes. You know, I mean, we had a... Um, a uh, school group come to the masjid and they were year sixes. Um, so they were in year six yeah. and a young man after the presentation, so we normally you know, give a presentation on Islam. Yeah. He said to me, I'm Muslim now. Huh. And I said, oh, when did you become Muslim? Yeah. So I assumed he became Muslim a while ago. And he said, I just decided after listening to, to that talk that <laughs> really? I want to be a Muslim. Really? This is the way for me. And I was yeah. like, I didn't know, should I take him seriously or yeah. not? So yeah. um, one of his, uh, his uh, friends, in the class was a Muslim. So I called him over and said, look, he said he wants to become a Muslim. Yeah. You know, talk to him. And I told him, talk to your parents, things like that, because you have to involve of course. the parents. Yeah. Um, I was fascinating when you said a 70-year-old lady yeah, embraced yeah. Islam. Yeah. She was old, she was elderly, she embraced Islam. Again, what lay behind her conversion? Did you get a chance to ask her? So Imam Shakil um, was... Uh, um, uh, present for her shahada yes, yeah. and basically her son became muslim okay and through her son um you know many of his friends actually became muslim Mashallah. and um um a prominent individual um actually became muslim uh through that group as well uh -huh. um and he mentioned um that some 
uh, a celebrity's children were, were also responsible for for his Islam as he grew up with them. Uh-huh. And so he, he saw them living as Muslims and and um, and that had an impact on him. Yeah. And with her, um, she I mean, they, they came from an, an area which was actually um, you could possibly say like it was a known racist area. Really? Known racist area. Yeah. And I mean, and, 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 and that's a point to take into consideration. Yeah. You know, like sometimes we build up these stereotypes, you know, like and we allow the stereotypes because stereotypes work both ways. Mm. You know, the, the non-Muslims have stereotypes sometimes, yes. but we also develop these stereotypes. You know, if I see like, um, you know, a bald-headed, you know, um, muscular-looking white yeah. man, I yeah. might say to myself, oh, he looks like, you know, he's a racist, but yeah. is that actually the case? Right. And if I allow that thought to creep in, then I've already put up a barrier between myself and delivering him the message of Islam. Yeah. And so they came from an area which was known for, for, for being quite racist. And in yeah. fact, um, one of the individuals mentioned, he has family members that are um, racist, yeah. but they accepted Islam. You know? And so um, it's, it's, it's when people actually understand what Islam is. You know, if you think about Islam from, from the, um, the societal benefits that it brings, you know, many people don't know this. They don't know what Islam is. The only interaction they've had with Islam is what they see on their TV or the echo chamber that is the internet, you know, or what they've, they've heard, um, word of mouth, etc. And so when they actually come into um, interaction with a Muslim yes. who's living his Islam or her Islam yeah. through their interactions, it takes them um, aback, you know, they're, they're surprised yeah. and, and they inquire. And, and many, often, many times they, they often kind of embrace Islam. Yeah. Can I can I ask? I mean, maybe I'm way off here, but you know, Lewisham for all of our viewers, and we yeah. have a lot of international viewers. But, you know, they may not know the demographic of mm. Lewisham. I mean, Lewisham is an area in London which I suppose they would call a deprived area. Yeah. It's a very working class area, socioeconomically. Mm. It's probably you know an area which is struggling. Yeah. Lots of you know uh, school attainment. It's probably poorer in yeah. in Lewisham. Uh, especially now with the cost of living mm. crisis, you know, you would have a lot of poverty and food banks and these sorts of things in Lewisham. So has that troubled background, has, has, is that background context, does that play a part in these people embracing Islam? Like they've got lives yeah. which are very chaotic and problematic and, and they see Islam as being a better way of living for them. So... Um, I think it's difficult to generalize ah. um, and, and I don't want to, um, you know, come across as knowing um, the answer to the question yeah. really without, because it, I think it would require um, maybe some research, yeah. you know, actually surveying and, but um, perhaps there is an element of that, um, but I don't think it's the main kind of reason. Um, and I think, so for example, if you look at um, Cambridge, um, uh, Central Mosque. Yes. Um, I think they're having an uptake of of, of individuals coming to Islam as yeah, well, yeah. and and you can see that's a, a different um, um, demographic. Very middle class. Exactly. Yes. Exactly. Yeah. And so I think it's more. I think it's more the fact now that there's a new generation of Muslims yeah. who are very confident in their Islam, yeah. and maybe they don't have this mentality. You know, where it's like um, we're we're guests here. Uh, you know, so it's like they live their Islam and they see that as as their right. And they see that as um, as their 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 identity. Like I am a Muslim, I'm British, yeah. yes, but I'm yeah. Muslim first. Yeah. And so living that and having that confidence, I think, is exposing everyone else to mm. to Islam. Although there was a young lady, she came to the masjid mm. um, and um, she said she wanted to become Muslim. Mm. So I went out and spoke to her, and I asked her, "What is it that's like brought you to the masjid?" Yeah. And she said, "You know, when I walk past the mosque, I see the 
the love and the um, yeah the the like everyone's hugging each other yeah. and and I was I was walking towards my car yeah. um, two Fridays ago right. roughly or three Fridays ago yeah and there was a um, he looked homeless to be honest yeah. um, and he looked like he was slightly drunk I mean he had a can of beer in his hand yeah and I was like walking fast so I startled him like he jumped and and turned around and <laughs> like grabbed his chest so I apologized and and we started speaking and he said. Um, oh, you're from the mosque? I said, yeah. And he said, you know what? There's there's a real positive energy that I get from that place. Whenever I walk past, I see everyone together and shaking hands and hugging. After Jummah, that's what they're going to see. And so, you know, for, for them, like sometimes we forget what society has become. Uh -huh. Because as Muslims, we live in a bubble. Yeah. You know, um, the, the, the concept of brotherhood, you know, the concept of sisterhood, um, the love that's shared between Muslims. We, it's very easy to forget that um, non-Muslims don't have this especially with the breakdown of societal relationships yes. and people are becoming more and more isolated right you know so people are living by themselves they're not seeing their children they're not seeing their parents they're not seeing their their siblings mm. and so when they see all of these people especially when you see people that are of different colors you know different shades of the same color you know you've yeah. got different ethnicities and they're hugging and embracing and yeah. laughing and smiling that itself is is like a real powerful image you know it, it draws people to 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 that kind of um uh, environment and and they ask what what's going on here yeah and so when they see that oh this is a masjid this is a mosque you know that inquisitiveness they want to step inside you know they want to have a look they might want to speak to someone um and and so slowly but surely you find that um you know if they don't become a muslim they quickly become a friend of 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 the muslims right. through that lived experience so if for example i don't know someone like that, that lady who experience who saw that yeah. brotherhood outside yeah. the mosque and yeah. you know people hugging each other and you know this sort of community feel so if she entered the mosque and wanted to ask questions about mm. islam like what would happen next yeah so i think that's that's a uh, going back to your initial question so the role that the masjid plays so our doors are always open really yeah from dhuhr until isha okay. so we open the doors um half an hour between before dhuhr time yeah. and we close them half an hour to 45 minutes, depending if there's a class until the class ends. Yeah. If there isn't a class, then um, after the salah. Which is quite odd, by the way, because often um, the masjids are open just for the salah the prayer, time. Exactly. And, okay. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I had an experience myself. Yeah. So I was um, on my graduation, actually, I took my mother and father. Yeah. And so we were looking for a masjid to pray. My mother isn't um, a Muslim, so we were looking for a masjid to pray. Yeah. And um, uh, I saw there's a masjid um, on... Soho Street, mm. um, I forget the name of the road. Mm. So I went, knocked on the door, um, and there's someone inside refusing to open the doors, really? you know, to pray. Really? And and I had my mother with me, and she saw I was uh, annoyed. Mm. And I was thinking, you know, for da'wah, this is really bad. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's a place of worship, and you're not allowing people to come inside. And mm. on a street like that, yeah. you know, I can imagine, though, there are security risks, things like right. that, yeah. you know, which, which is another issue, because to keep your doors open, yeah. it requires resources, you know, those that are going to be in the masjid, security, yeah. um, you know, finances. But so the doors are open anyway, and um, someone can just come in and say, I'd like to talk to um, someone about Islam, and they're taken to the imam. And, and it's given priority. So if unless there is a meeting taking, taking place, yeah. like because we offer counseling sessions, uh, marital services, things like that. So yeah. unless there is a meeting or a lesson taking place, then um, they'll be seen basically on the spot. Um, and so then sit down, talk to them, etc., and we give them, you know, a Quran book. Someone donates um, uh, the, I think it's the Oxford Printing Press copy of the Quran. Is this uh, a, uh, Abdul Halim no, translation? No, it's or... a new translation. I'm okay, not, yeah, I, I think I've come across. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah, it's a paperback. I okay. forget the 
the translator to be yeah. honest yeah but um we offer that and we have various books that we offer yeah um and so the masjid is always open for right. non-muslims yeah we also hold um like uh, we just had a an uh aid dinner for reverts and we encourage them to bring their families right um we hold outreach programs so for example it might be like um you know with organizations that are involved in the local community yeah um we we host them and um we we open those up to discussion to, to the um community muslim right. and non-muslim right so an example we've held events with citizens uk over the last um few years yeah whether, whether it's about the housing issue yeah. you know um tackling um issues of of, of immigration helping yeah. you know new migrants and so on and so forth yeah and so non-muslims come to those events and they see you know the muslims and they hear from the muslims um and they meet um muslims mm-hmm. and so that as well is is, is like a, a door for them to kind of look into the world of of the mosque and, and the Muslim community. Yeah. Uh, Imam Ashraf, I'm, I'm going to ask about the elephant in the room. And, yeah. you know, feel free to say to me, this is, you know, a nonsensical question. But yeah. has, is there a relationship between, especially young men and women becoming Muslim, and young men becoming mm. Muslim, and the YouTube influencer, Andrew Tate, and mm. him embracing Islam? Yeah. So I think um, to say no would be incorrect. And, and to say, um, you know, to make it, a major reason mm. i think it would be it would also be incorrect okay. but i i do believe that that um his islam has had an impact really? on um on young men yeah. um because and i think if you if you if you get into that conversation you have to get into the conversation of what's happening in society right. and i think what's happening in society is is more um impactful i mean if you look to why why he became muslim andrew tate yeah um it's the direction society's Social heading Social reasons. Yeah, and, and, and I think more so the, um, like if you just look at the gender issues, um, the, the whole, um, you know, the LGBT issues. Yeah. Um, so these issues are driving a wedge through society. Right. And so when um, those that are deemed to be on the right mm. see how black and white Islam is on certain fronts, mm. um, they incline towards it, you know, and especially for young men today, because young men, I think it's becoming increasingly um, more difficult for a young man to kind of find himself mm. um, in a society which is basically erasing. Feminizing. Exactly, feminizing yeah. and erasing what it means to be a man. And yes. it's been going on for a long time. Yeah. And so Islam, it's not that they come to Islam because Islam is is um, is a very kind of, you know, macho-centric way of life. Yeah. But it's very black and white in these areas like a man is a man and a woman is a woman right and we have a framework which makes these things clear yeah and so i mean we've had we had a, a lady bring her daughter to the masjid a non-muslim lady okay. brought her daughter to the masjid and said i want my daughter to become a muslim Subhan, a non-muslim, non-Muslim lady. lady really yeah brought her daughter to the masjid and said i want my daughter to become muslim yeah because i want her to know right from wrong and i want her to know like what is clear um, because Islam makes it clear, yeah. and many of these young men, they say they're disciplined. You know, yeah. what what is it that brings you to Islam? The discipline, yeah. and I believe I said to you over the phone. You know, that's something which I was quite surprised by because yeah. when you think about it, like I look at the Muslim community sometimes, and I think ill disciplined. Yeah, we're not yeah. very disciplined. Yeah. You know, when it comes to our eating habits, when it comes to Sleep. sleeping habits yeah. and things. But then when you look at it from the outside perspective, you have this young Muslim man or young Muslim woman doesn't drink alcohol, you know, doesn't um, involve themselves in, in, in promiscuity, um, you know, doesn't um, take drugs, um, is very clear on, you know, what's right, what's wrong, doesn't eat haram food, 
So that is quite disciplined, yeah. you know. And and you said earlier in the beginning, you said like I'm I'm surprised when I see the amount of new Muslims. Yeah. Like I'm surprised, really. You know, sometimes I, I've I've caught myself looking at these young people. I'm saying like, what is it that's bringing you to Islam? Yeah. You know, like what, what's happening? But then you have to realize Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala. You know, Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala is the one who is preparing um, and is in control of all. All affairs, yeah. you know, and Allah Subhanahu wa Taala He says, You know, they plot and they plan, but Allah is the one who, who is in control of of all plots and and plans ultimately. Yeah. And so you see these young people coming to Islam, and you can say it's the Andrew Tate effect. Mm. You can say it's the societal, um, you know, effect, as in where society is heading. Yeah. But ultimately, you know, it's Allah Subhanahu wa Taala yeah. who's who's bringing these people to to Islam. Allah Subhanahu wa Taala is musabbibul asbab. You know, the the one who who and incepts the the causes yes. um, for these things? So you you mentioned that uh, young men, for example, their their place and position in society yeah. is declining. You talked about, uh, yeah, interestingly, the LGBT or mm. the trans issue and how that's impacting, you know, um, the way people perceive Islam yeah. as being yeah. right and wrong and black and white on, on a host of issues. What else is going on in society that you know these? young or old converts are experiencing that pushes them towards Islam? Um, I think um, the other issue, which I think is a, is a very important issue, yeah. is the realization that there is no happiness to be found in um, material possessions right. or consumerism, consumerism really. you know, capitalism. Yeah. Um, you know, people are, are realizing, you know, people here, you know, the, the poorest of the poor is is somewhat wealthy in comparison to to poor nations, you yeah. know, inhabitants of poor nations, and so people here really do experience the um, the the best that this life has to offer. Even the poorest of the poor person or people here, they go to a local shop and they can they can buy you know various meats, um, you know they can buy you know fish, they can buy summer fruits in the winter, winter fruits in the summer, and so everything that this life has to offer has offered itself yeah. um, to um, people that live here. And so they're left wondering, like, what else? You know, like, what, there's still a, a hole inside. Yeah. And so they start looking. Um, there's, a, uh, there's an Italian um, uh, gentleman, he came to the masjid <laughs> and he became Muslim. Oh, sure. um, and and uh, I was speaking to him, asking him, what, what, it, what is it that led to your Islam? Yeah. And he said, I've been looking for a long time. He said, I've been looking to a long time, for a long time. He said, I, I went to, um, to uh, Rome, you know, I, I spoke to priests um, and... Uh, a colleague of his who works in his workplace, he works in, in the, the hospital in Lewisham, mm. handed him an Italian Quran. Mm. And he said, I started to read it and I realized this is what I've been looking for. Yeah. And so he became Muslim, you know. So I think it's, 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 a, it's a whole kind of mixture of things. Um, you have the, 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 the issue of society, mm. you have the issue of consumerism, capitalism, mm. um, you have the mixing with, with, with the masses, and I think there's a point to consider here as for us as Muslims mm. moving forward. The Sahaba, you know, when they became Muslim yes. um, and Islam started to spread its wings left and right, yeah. uh, you know, east and west, yeah. the Sahaba had to kind of, you know, drive their way through those lands. Mm. The Tabi'een, they had to drive their way through those lands. Mm. They, they came up against um, institutions that did not want the masses to hear the message of Islam. Yeah. Whether they knew what Islam was or they didn't know what Islam was, they were putting up a barrier between the people that they controlled or governed and and Islam. That barrier isn't here for us today. You know, we are living amongst the people. 
like we're living amongst the people. Mm. And so we have the opportunity to show people what Islam is, mm. you know, to really show them what Islam is. And, and when people do that, people enter into Islam. When the Muslims do that, people enter into Islam. We have Muhammad Salah, yes. another example. You know, people became Muslim because of his sujood and seeing him read the Quran. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Khabib in UFC, you know, um, and they're examples of, of Ihsan. You know, if you do what you do with Ihsan and you openly show people that I am a proud Muslim, people are going to incline towards um, Islam. Muhammad Ali, perhaps the best of examples. Yeah. How many people became Muslim yeah. through Muhammad Ali, you know, indirectly because they saw, I remember I heard a comedian saying, you know, if I didn't drink alcohol and I didn't take drugs and I didn't sleep around, I'll become the heavyweight champion of the world too. Mm. You know, so he's like, he's noticing it's the discipline of Islam which has led to this man's success, rahimahullah. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Malcolm X, another example, we had a, a young Portuguese man, he took his shahada yeah. last week and he, he actually said Malcolm X played a major role in, in, in my Islam, reading about Malcolm X and reading about the changes he went through. You know, so I think the main, the main um, reason for people coming to Islam is their interaction with Muslims, but as well, you know, realizing that this dunya, it's not um, what, it, what it's made out to be, you know, that realization. Um, so I think those are probably some of the key areas. How much rebuilding is required once someone becomes a Muslim? So you said, you know, you've got people who may be dissatisfied with, let's call it Western society, mm. dissatisfied with consumerism, with gender relations, with the position of men and women. All of this is, is there. But of course, like all of us, actually, but maybe more so for someone who hasn't been brought up in a Muslim family, mm. they're going to have baggage. They're going to see the world, maybe, you know, politically, economically, even yeah. socially, they're going to see the world from a particular perspective. Yeah, definitely. How much rebuilding needs to happen for someone who comes to Islam? I mean, I think it's a, it's a big question yeah. and um, it can, you can look at it from multiple angles um, because you could apply the same question to Muslims that are born and raised in the West or Muslims that came over to the West at a young age. True. Um, if you live in a sick society, you're definitely going to have that sickness um, as, a, you know, or you're going to have some of the sickness at least. Yeah. And, and the, um, the lockdown period kind of reminded me of that because we were wearing masks. And for those of us that were, for those of us that weren't, we were still keeping our distances. Yeah. You know, we were taking precautions to pr protect ourselves from these material even though we can't see them, but they're still material, uh, tangible kind of um, um, uh, illnesses and, and sicknesses. Yeah. But we don't, we don't approach the immaterial, the spiritual sicknesses in the same way. Yeah. And so for many, I think many of the issues of, of Muslims in the West, whether new Muslims or you know, born Muslims, they go back to um, the point that you've highlighted. You know, you, if, you, if you really you know, go deep into the issue, it comes down to um, the baggage that we carry with ourselves. Mm. You know, so you have those that are on the kind of like, um, you know, let's call it, I don't know, I don't know what term to use, to be honest, because um, things are not as straightforward as, as, as the terms allude to, to being. But, yeah. you know, if we say those that are on the left, yeah. those that are on the right, yeah. you know, um, you, you find often it's, it's the baggage that has been brought with them into Islam or their experiences. You know, for example, if you look at feminism, feminism was a reaction to the oppression of women yeah. um, in, in the West, really. And now, the, the, if you want to call it the red pill movement, it's a reaction to the extreme you know, feminism. And probably in 50, 60, 70 years time, there'll be another kind of reaction to the, to the red pill movement. And Islam 
the point, the purpose behind Islam is to is to moderate all of that. Mm-hmm. You know, to bring you into this middle ground where yeah. you, things are not determined by your your lived experience, your interpretation of life. Things are determined for you by your Creator. Um, and so, when new Muslims come to Islam, if you look at it from that perspective, there's a whole lot of work to do. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I, um, this morning um, we have a class for. It's it's like a, a foundational class in in Islam for reverts for it's open to all. Okay, but there are some revert sisters that attend, yeah. and so we were having the discussion about polygamy, and polygamy is of course a controversial issue, um, and it was the revert sisters that were more accepting of polygamy. Mm. Um, there were a few sisters that were born into Islam that were accepting of it, but yeah. the revert sisters that were more accepting of polygamy mm. um, than those that were born into Islam. Okay. Why? Because of the, the you could say, the cultural baggage that comes with being a born Muslim. Mm-hmm. You know, so, um, and if you look at the Sahaba, the way that the Sahaba approached Islam, they they approached Islam with an inquisitiveness about their culture and Islam and the clash between the two. Mm-hmm. And so the culture that the Sahaba developed was a culture which was um, refined by the framework and the principles of Islam. Mm-hmm. And and that's what makes Islam so amazing. Islam is principle based. It's not it's not um, you know uh, directives. It's not you know um, straightforward. Do this, don't do this. Wear this, don't wear that. Hmm. It's principles, and so you can see like um, that taking place amongst reverts, amongst Muslims hmm. born here, where there's a you know a British Islam emerging. Many people don't like that term, yeah. but there is a British Islam emerging. I don't mean a politically British Islam. Sure. I mean a you know a culturally British Islam. Yeah. And so the reverts have a major part to play in. Um, what's happening? You know. Well, let me ask you about that culture, because of course, uh, all the reverts I know, all those who became Muslim, you know, yeah. twenty maybe years ago, they've adopted uh, cultural traits. Mm. Because is there really a British culture? I mean, I do, you know, this is a, I know it's a sore point, but they've adopted, you know, sometimes even more so than than you or I. They've adopted, mm. you know, cultural traits from Pakistan or from the Arab world. Yeah. Um, within time, they they're eating Arab food or eating, you know. The best food in the world, curries, <laughs> Indian food, of course, um, and and so they, they change their culture. Is that a problem from a, da- a long term Dawa perspective in your mind? Uh, I, I don't think it's a problem. I think um, at the end of the day, the the change, the cultural um, development that's going to happen in the UK is going to be an organic one. Yeah. But I think we as Muslims that are um, you know those that come from you know um, um, what's the word like. Uh, Majority Muslim communities. Yes. Um, I think we have to be wary of of what we try to push as being, you know, Islamic, Islam. Yeah. You know, so if a person comes to the masjid and they're wearing, you know, loose clothing, you know, loose trousers, yeah. shirt, things like that, yeah. it would be wrong to say, oh, you have to wear a thobe yeah. now to be practicing. Or yeah. for sisters, even, you know, if a sister's not wearing an abaya, does that mean she's not practicing Islam? Yeah. Um, and 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 I think that this question spills into the um the question of you know what is our role here as muslims yeah. you know and and the clash that sometimes emerges from the various directions that we as muslims are taking yeah. you know on the political um or, or within the political arena we're taking the um you know the minority rights direction yeah. um and sometimes the language can be quite um uh ethnocentric perhaps um, on the ground in certain places we're taking a a, a dawi perspective yeah. and so the language to those that are in the political arena can come across perhaps as apologetic right. you know so it's like um i think we have to be aware of of those issues yeah. um and i think the the 
the for a, a new Muslim when they adopt the culture of you know Pakistani culture, Indian culture, Bengali culture, Arab yeah. culture, Somali culture, whichever culture it is. Yeah. I think that's that's more the um, the kind of organic outcome of of the new environment that they find themselves in. But I think that's changing as well. Mm. I think that's changing as well because now, for example, if you ask a young Muslim born and raised in the UK what type of foods they would prefer True. to eat, yeah. they would prefer to eat you know Western foods. Um, if you look at um, the clothing that you know people are starting to to wear now, mm. um, you know Western clothing, um, haircuts, you know speech, all of these things. So I think it's it's a mutual exchange. Um, but I think there there is a lot to to kind of think about when it comes to the culture yeah. and and um, new Muslims and the culture that new Muslims adopt. And perhaps it's also related to um, the ethnicity of the individuals that embrace Islam, yeah. because I believe that certain ethnic groups they have more. Um, what's the word? Their 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 culture is clearer. Their cultural um, identity is clearer. Yeah. And whereas certain um, groups they they're more maybe they they more adaptable to other cultures and yeah. you know so it's like for example um would you see a pakistani man dressing like you know um a somali man mm. you know or a somali man dressing like a pakistani man yeah very rarely yeah you know whereas for example you might see someone that comes from a, another culture they're they're very adaptable they'll happily wear the clothing of another culture yeah. um, and other people so i think it's it's all to, to a degree there is some subjectivity um involved I mean, I can imagine that maybe, uh, I mean, I, I get from time to time contacts from non-Muslims who, who leave comments saying that, you know, we really enjoy your show when we yeah. watch it. They're non-Muslims, yeah, right? Yeah. But they still, they find some solace in the speakers and in the discussions that are that are taking place. Now, if a non-Muslim uh, was to think about becoming a Muslim, mm. one of the things I would imagine, and I could be wrong here, one of the things they may worry about is just the amount of rules Christianity doesn't have those rules anymore. Mm. They don't, you know, you, you just have to believe in Jesus and that's it, right? But yeah. Islam does have, yeah. whether it's, you know, the known rules about uh, about not drinking alcohol and praying five times a day, but also, you know, abstaining from riba, from interest-based loans and uh, even language and the way a Muslim speaks, you mm. know, one needs to moderate mm. uh, one's tone, one needs to look after parents. These are very detailed rules yeah. that come Ways in the Ahkam Sharia. Yeah. Uh, so, so they may worry about just the amount of rules. I mean, from your experience, how mm. easy has it been for uh, converts to Islam, especially those young converts, mm. you know, to embrace these rules uh, of Islam? So, um, it, I mean, at the masjid, we always tell them, take your time. Um, you know, if you feel that you can't pray five times a day, yeah. pray you know, once, twice, how, however many times you feel that you can mm. in the moment. Um, there have been sisters where, you know, they've, they've you know, pulled out the full hijab, niqab, yeah. and they've been told, slow down, you know, take it slowly, you know, build, work up, because it's the, the inside that, that leads to the external, you know, development. And, yeah. and if, if, you're, if you rush with the external kind of application, it can lead to issues internally. Right. And so um, it depends on, on, on the individual, but... We've had young brothers and sisters. They become Muslim today. They're praying five times a day tomorrow. Um, we had young brothers in in. Um, they became Muslim in Ramadan, prayed tarawih every night, and they know, fast. Fasting. They were yeah. fasting prior to becoming Muslim. <laughs> um, most of them were fasting prior to becoming Muslim. Yes. Um, and then we've had others where it's difficult. You know, 
um, what's prevented them from entering into Islam yeah. is exactly that, the, the rules. rules. Yeah. I had a conversation with, with a brother, um, now a brother, alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah. And his issue was that he is a perfectionist. Uh-huh. And he doesn't like to apply himself to something unless he can perfect it and, yes. and, and do it to, to, to the best of his ability. And so we, we spoke and, um, you know, kind of came to the conclusion, you don't have to be perfect. You know, take that first step. And take it easy with yourself. And he he took his shahada um, within ten minutes of of that conversation. Correct. You know, so it's like that. It depends on the individual. And um, also, as well, you'll be surprised to hear that many non-Muslim parents are very um, helpful. They they really kind of go out of their way to help the young people that become Muslim. Really? Yeah, we had. So, so do they do they embrace it? Do they like yeah, it? Because men- we used to hear. I mean, in my era, I mean, my generation. Many converts, reverts to Islam would struggle with their families. Yeah. So you're saying the opposite here. I mean, we've we've seen both. Okay. You know, and and um, so I've seen, for example, there was a particular individual um, um, who came from a particular background, and you find that certain backgrounds are are um, more difficult when it comes to members of their families becoming Muslim yeah. due to religious um, right. inclinations, beliefs. If they've got strong religious beliefs. Exactly. And right. certain religions as okay. well, I found. Yeah. Um, and so a particular individual became Muslim and they were hiding it from their family. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've met yet many young people. They ask, can I pray in my room? Yeah. Um, one young person said, I, I can't avoid eating um, um, pork in my household. What right. do I do? Yeah. Um, and they're young, you know, some, you, you perhaps might have a viewer who say they should leave the house kind of thing, you yeah. know, like the online world is very... Um, um, Black and white. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yes. you know, Islam comes first. It's yeah. very easy to say, but yeah. when you're 15 years old, you know, and um, you love your mother, you love your father, etc. So they were advised, like, stay away from it as, as much as possible. Yeah. And if you, if you cannot avoid it, then, you know, until you develop that confidence in your Islam, and in your ability to say to your parents, I'm a Muslim. Um, and so sometimes that might take a few years. Mm-hmm. A particular individual, um, a young lady, her parents, she was worried about telling her parents. And so she was you know, putting the hijab on and, 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 and stuff like that as soon as she would leave the house. Mm-hmm. But before she gets into the house, she would take it to Allah. And so she was advised to dress in a way which you don't have to kind of like, you know, change your identity inside the house or outside the house. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise it could cause problems for yourself. Her parents were very worried about her um, and um, we met with one of her parents and, you know, he became much more open to the idea. Right. You know, he, his heart softened um, and um, now, you know, alhamdulillah, um, things are much easier for, for that particular person. Yeah. Um, young brother, um, he had to pray in his room. You know, he couldn't pray all the time, um, keeping it from his parents. I mean, th- you have both, um, but... We've also seen, like, um, there's a young English brother, his mother and father, very, very facilitating. Really? You know, very facilitating. Um, there's a, another young brother, um, I spoke to his mother multiple times, and his mother was phoning up and saying, um, can my son do this? Because my son seems to be, you know, having a misunderstanding here. Like, she was reading into clarifying Islam. clarifying the rules. <laughs> yeah, she's reading into Islam. <laughs> yeah. and, and can you speak to my son about this issue, please? Yeah. You know, um, so you'll find that the parents are cha- many parents. They um, they will say um, like uh, we're not going to eat haram meat anymore. We'll change the meat. Right. So you know they, there's halal meat in the fridge in the freezer. Yeah. So it's it's like depends on on the on the individual, but yeah. and and depends on on the household. But generally speaking, I think now there's a more welcoming stance towards young people that are becoming Muslim. 
Um, because the, they can see discipline in, in their child? or the, That's one thing. Yeah. So there is a particular individual um, and, and um, their, their parents noted, like, mm. you know, we, we see, see a real change. Really? You know, and when they're having issues with, with their, um, um, you know, their child, although they're not a child, um, you know, they'll call up. Can you speak to my, my uh, son about this issue? Uh, so they've got someone who now can di- you know, help discipline their exactly, child. If exactly, the child is, exactly. Okay. And, right. and not, I wouldn't say discipline, but yeah. more advice. Advice, advice. Um, yeah. But we also, we, we do try to, especially Imam Shakil, he tries to go out of his way to involve the parents, mm. you know, to involve the parents in any celebrations, yeah. um, you know, to bring the parents into the masjid. And so we, we try to develop that relationship with the family as well as the individual, mm. because they're the ones that are, are going to be the, the cause for people to become Muslim. Yeah. And generally speaking, there is a trend when a person becomes a Muslim, Others within that family tend to become Muslim um, too, whether it's the same year, a few years down the line. Mm-hmm. You know, many young people I've, I've spoken to, um, they'll say, oh, my, my brother became Muslim a few years ago. You know, my sister became Muslim, mm-hmm. um, things like that. Yeah. I mean, there is a, a, a misunderstanding maybe or a misnomer amongst non-Muslims that um, people become Muslim primarily through marriage. Mm. They want to marry a Muslim and so they convert in order to get their... Marriage done is. Yeah. I mean, how much of that is for you? I mean, like we have seen, you know, a person will come. To I mean, the I'm masjid. not saying that's wrong. I'm, yeah, 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 that's yeah. what. I was, so we've yeah. seen a, a person will come to the masjid yeah. and they take the shahada, and then the following week they're booking a nikah. <laughs> <laughs> so you can kind of, you know, you can you can guess that this has been arranged. Yeah. But if that's how Islam is going to enter the person's heart, then yeah. Alhamdulillah, yeah. you know, it's it's a form of da'wah. Um, and generally speaking, when a person enters into Islam. They don't leave it, you know, so it's like um, it may take them some time to develop that Islam, to develop the Iman, but it becomes a mainstay in their in their life. Well, I wanted to ask you about that. So uh, from your experience, I mean, you, subhanAllah, you know, you've had uh, lots of conversions to Islam, not just in Ramadan, lots of reversions, but also, you know, over the years. I mean, how many of those stay Muslim? I mean, yeah. do you find that there's the odd few or even a, a good number who, who may leave Islam after a few months or years? So the only person that comes to mind that I've, I've um, heard yeah. left Islam, um, they mentioned that um, they entered into Islam for the wrong reason, okay. basically. Okay. Um, and other than that, I haven't really, I, I've, I haven't come across someone that's left Islam. Right. Um, I mean, they may waver in, in their Islam, but um, I haven't come across someone who's entered into Islam yeah. and then a few years down the line said, no, it was a mistake. Right. Um, it, it, it's, you see, like, you know, they're, they're, they're are, they, they waver, you know, maybe up and down, yeah. um, except for those. I mean, there are a lot of reverts that, that are studying, um, like in Lewisham now. We have a large, um, when I say large, I mean in relation to other areas, um, community of reverts who are, who are studying seriously. Really? You know, um, memorizing the Quran, yeah. um, studying the Arabic language, studying fiqh. Really? Um, yeah, so alhamdulillah, we have a few who have studied in Egypt for a oh, few years. Allah, really? um, so there are, I mean, a young brother, he became Muslim, I think, a few years ago. Now, you know, he's got a Quran teacher, he's proficient in his recitation of the Quran. Masha'ala. We have a particular young brother, he became Muslim, I think, three or four years ago now, yeah. maybe three years ago. And we have an Arabic class um, weekly. He's the most advanced student in, in the Arabic class yeah. and um, it's been going on for two years. Yeah. And like he, he can actually break down the grammar of Arabic sentences. Yeah. Um, you know, he can translate um, you know, basic texts and he could even hold a basic conversation in Arabic. And he was teaching 
um, those who entered into those who were born Muslim some of the the basics of Arabic grammar. You know that's how seriously he took it. So I, I've seen that side, yeah. but I haven't seen the side where people leave Islam. Really, I've, I've seen it's it's usually an upwards um, trajectory for those that become Muslim. What impact does this have on Muslims who have been Muslims all their life? I mean, you know, does it impact their own observance of Islam? Definitely, it's yeah. it's inspirational. Really, um, a friend of mine who is a revert, he came to the masjid and um, he he was um, studying Islam um, in Medina, so we were there at the same time, mm. and he recited some Quran, um, and one of the imams was was shocked, said when I heard his recitation. And, you know, this is from someone who entered into Islam. It's, you know, it's definitely inspirational. And, and it should be. And it should, also, it should also make those who are born into Islam appreciate the gift that they've been given. Mm. You know, um, when you see an individual who has been looking for something their entire life and find it and take it seriously, it should make you question, why am I not taking this seriously? Mm. Something that I've been, you know, born with, I've been gifted with. Yeah. Um, and, and it is a shame, you know, when you have someone who became Muslim two years ago who can now recite the Quran better than someone who's been a Muslim their whole life. You know, what excuse do you have? Yeah. This person has to struggle and strive um, to learn the language, to learn how to recite. You know, so if, that, if they can do it, then why can't, you know, those that are born into Islam mm. do it? So definitely it's inspirational. Um, and, and for myself, like, um, so as an imam, you deal, with, you deal with things that will take you, you know, up to the, to the, to the sky with positivity. And then you deal with things that will bring you straight back down, mm. you know. So it's like being around new Muslims, seeing them embrace Islam, listening to them, seeing them take it seriously. You know that positivity it really um, is necessary um, for myself because the other side is dealing with you know like high divorce rates, you know mental health issues, you know um, the issues of of drugs and alcohol and and um, the societal ills generally that are affecting everyone else yeah. so that's a real source of positivity for us um in in these difficult times alhamdulillah i want to ask about again this is more of a and actually you you know you brothers at uh at lewisham mosque you do not shy away from talking about societal and political issues and i've mm. noticed that for a long time in fact i mean it's it's worth noting for our viewers i mean imam shakil in particular i mean this is before you became an imam but i think yeah. even after when you became imam lewisham mosque was was known for being a place where you spoke about political issues and yeah. you made it very clear that yeah. the war on terror was unjust. And, you know, and, and many a time um, I know that the media depicted Lewisham Mosque in a very negative light unfairly mm. because of that, that you continued and there was a, a no compromise, but also very, it was, it was done in a very good way. It wasn't sort of, a, a, you know, it didn't, you know, a, as you can see from the number of people converted to Islam, it didn't put up barriers. Mm. Us versus them. Yes. Us versus them. Um, but there is this fear amongst the non-Muslims, especially when a young person becomes Muslim, that they're going to become susceptible to extremism mm. in inverted commas. And of course, extremism could mean many things to many people. But there was a, a at least, you know, back in the heyday of ISIS, yeah. um, uh, many reverts uh, did leave Britain, mm. France, many of the European countries, yeah. America, Canada, and ended up, um, disproportionately probably ended up, becoming members of of this group yeah. um and, and that fear exists i mean have you you know have how do you deal with this fear that may still persist in amongst amongst non-muslim parents so i think lately that fear isn't as present and uh, as prevalent as it used to be really um but 
I think the way to deal with that fear and the way perhaps we we have been dealing with that fear in Lewisham is to tackle it head on. Okay. Because um and and this is where you know you you head it, you get into that kind of black and white water yeah. you know the where everything is either you're for or against either you're with us or you're against us kind of mentality online. Yeah. It's like okay you're speaking out against um um, you, if you use the term extremism as a Muslim, oh, you must be an apologetic. Yeah. You know, if you use the term Sharia as a Muslim, oh, you must be a, 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 a an Islamist. Um, and so, the the blessing that we have on the ground yeah. is that the common Muslims and non-Muslims, they don't really fall victim to those kind of narratives. Yeah. You know, you can use the term extreme extremism, and people are not going to naturally assume that you're an apologetic Muslim. You know, you can talk about being British and people are not going to say, oh, you know, you're one of those, yeah. a moderate kind of, you know, yeah. this imp- you know, impression that people have. Yeah. Um, you can talk about Sharia. You can talk about the importance of a moral framework and people are not going to feel threatened. And so that's what, that's the approach we've had. Transparent, um, you know, honest um, and, and being transparent and honest to, to the book, the Quran and the Sunnah of the Prophet and the four schools of fiqh, the frameworks provided um, for us by the great imams of the past, that's the the best approach. Because if you try to present Islam in any other way, mm. either on this side or that side, people are going to find out. Mm. Um, and so the best thing to yes, for example, like you know, um, Sharia. Yes, the Muslim um, should want to see the Sharia um, being implemented, etc. But does that mean that I'm aspiring towards you know um, implementing Sharia in my locality mm. where I'm living as a um, you know a minority under a government which has it. No, it doesn't. Um, and um, so it's it's about the articulation of the truth, uh-huh. the honest truth, yeah. um, the unadulterated truth, but in a way which is relevant um, to the people and in a way which is um, um, is perhaps understandable. You know, I think that's the... And if you, if you like, for example, if you listen to some of the khutbas from Lewisham, yeah. you'll find some of the khutbas are very critical of the British government, yeah. you know, very foreign critical policy, of foreign pro- yeah. policy, but at the same time, very critical of the Muslim community. Yeah. You know, like we, we don't shy away from, from being critical of the Muslim community as well yeah. as being critical of, of the British government um, or foreign policy or, or even, you know, Muslim states, if you, if you like to call them that. Yeah. Why? Because the, the framework... Is, is there So if you see the Muslim community Involved in that Which they shouldn't be involved in You yeah. have to speak the truth yeah. If you see the British government in, Involved in that Which is morally unjust You have to speak the truth And when you base your your approach On a framework Which has been formulated for you By the great scholars of the past That has been taken From the understanding of the Sahaba mm-hmm. Taken from the Prophet From the Quran um, Then you're going to have A balanced approach And I think that's where you find People either fell into the left or fell into the to the right mm. you know the extreme side here or the extreme side there yeah. when they branched away from the um the uh, um the middle ground provided for us by the scholars of the past mm. you know it's when we opened up the quran and the sunnah to our own kind of interpretations um or when you have a person who is not fit to interpret the quran or the sunnah mm. or the words of the scholars of the past yeah. trying to do so right and that's perhaps um the result of of uh, the printing press, you know, and and perhaps maybe slightly worse than the printing press, digital media, mm-hmm. where a person has access to words that were previously only restricted to scholars or students of knowledge who had the capacity to understand these words. They would understand the context and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. And so that's been our approach. 
you know, for example, the issue of um, ISIS or, or Daesh, as known mm. um, in in the Arab world, you tackle the the wrong, mm. um, and likewise on this side, politics, etc., you tackle the wrong. But sometimes, as well, on this side, you have to understand the context. You know, so politically, yes, we might be against certain things, but you also have to understand the context of where you're living. Mm. You're living in the UK. You know, you you have to understand that context before you speak about these issues. Yeah. Can I ask you about, because of course a lot of what we've discussed today is really about the role of the masjid and, mm. and how it needs to be at the centre of the community. Now, you know, Lewisham Mosque is quite exceptional, I would say. Okay, you have said that, you know, Visha Hada, not just, you don't just find it in Lewisham Mosque, yeah. of course. But, you know, I, I've noticed on a sort of long-term trajectory, Lewisham Mosque is doing some really good work, 100%. not just amongst you know, uh, non-Muslims to bring them to Islam, but also in, in the Muslim community. Mm. Now, you know, again, forgive me for, for putting it like this, but, you know, it's a simple mosque. I mean, if you look at the, and I, you know, I would urge my viewers to just view the mosque. It's yeah. a, maybe someone sitting in Texas would think this is like one of these big <laughs> grand mosques with lots of minarets no. and domes. Right? It's a very simple yeah. center. Used um, to be a nightclub. Used to be a nightclub, really. Um, so it's, it's a very simple place, yet the Iman in the mosque, the, the, as you said, the, the aura that it projects mm. is, is amazing. So yeah. what is it about the masjid you feel, or Lucian masjid, that needs to be replicated in, in other masjids? masjids? Um, yeah, so I would agree with you, definitely. And, and, and I don't say this with a bias because yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm um, you know, from the masjid, Lucian. Mm. But I would definitely say that the Lucian Islamic Center is unlike um, um, the masjid that I have seen anyway in the UK. And most people that come to the masjid will say the same thing. Yeah. The diversity. I mean, just just yeah. to say, I mean, I went on Google reviews, you know, the, yeah. the reviews and, and subhanAllah, I get the number of people who talked about, I mean, the buzzwords I think I remember was community, yeah. brotherhood, sisterhood, yeah. um, you know, feeling, belonging. Mm. The, these were the terms used consistently by those who reviewed, even those, by the way, who said, I passed by the masjid. Mm one day and you know i i came in and this is the the feeling i got yeah, sorry yeah. continue no so those words as you highlighted um um so the, with lewisham the i remember a brother he came from america he was doing a tour mm-hmm. and um he came from from a particular background and and he came to lewisham and and he was he was um, upset that this was the last message that he came to <laughs> because he said like every other message i've been to there's been a particular kind of um you know uh ethnic background that you find is the predominant you know, group. Yeah. Um, whereas in Lewisham, you can't really say that. You have like East African, West African, Central African, North African. You have um, Southeast Asian. You know, you you, you have um, European. You have Caribbean. You have English. You have um, French. Like um, there's a whole array of of different colors and languages, etc. Um, and and I think that's one of the things that kind of makes it um, unique. Um, and I would say the like the in short, it's the concentration on on the people inside the masjid rather than the masjid itself, mm. you know, and, and I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have in our time. We focus on the minaret, on the dome, you know, we focus on the buildings, on the carpet, but we don't focus on the individuals. It's like, you know, running a business. If you, if you have, you know, the, the, the best kind of um, facilities available, but you hire a CEO who is not competent in his job, <laughs> the facilities are worthless. Mm. Likewise, if you have a hall that can can hold you know 20,000 people but you don't have the individuals that have the capacity to lead those individuals yeah. or the capacity to utilize the facilities available 
then what what use is the is the the building? And if you go back to the Prophet Ali Sallallahu Masjid, yeah. um, the floor was made of earth, no carpet, mm. the pillars were palm trees, and the roofs palm leaves. But yet, those the Prophet Sallallahu raised took Islam into Africa, took Islam into Southeast Asia, took Islam to the rest of the world. And it's so it's the men and women that need to be the focus. Mm. Um, I remember hearing, um, I think Sheikh um, Zahir Mahmoud, he said, if you pay peanuts, don't complain when you get a monkey, mm. you know, and 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 that's that's the the blatant and and honest reality. So the wage of his, of the imam, for example. I mean, that's a whole another. <laughs> but yeah, so for example, like if you want, there's 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 two issues here because people assume, okay, if you're working in the Islamic arena, it has to be feasibilillah. Yeah, yeah. I agree with that, ideally. Yeah. yeah. But you cannot work feasibilillah and have a wife and children. Mm. If you if you're saying the imam should not have you know, um, uh, a wife and children, that's something else. But the reality is if you have a wife and children in, in this society, you need to feed them. And if you're going to be calling to traditional gender roles, you're going to be calling to living like, you know, Muslims and like the Prophet ﷺ, like the Sahaba, yeah. then how can you expect the Imam to not live like, you know, a man and be able to provide for his family? Okay. If you And so if you want qualified um, uh, members of, of the community, i.e. those that work there, and those that have the skills and the capacity to really make a change, then yeah, you have to pay them. Um, that's one aspect. The other aspect is also, I think, the context um, of the imams and the understanding of the imams. Many imams, the only kind of context that they have is the masjid, the home, and maybe the supplementary school that they may teach in, etc. And, and, and many imams were raised like that raised in, in very conservative, um, you know, predominantly Muslim communities where they may not have an understanding of um, of the world outside of their own community. That can have an impact as well. Um, language, you know, language barrier. So if the language is not relevant, as we mentioned, that can have a, um, a, an impact, you know, being aware of, of the social is- issues and things like that. So all of these, um, when you put them all together, if you have imams that are capable of doing their jobs, you know they they are qualified enough to do to do their jobs well islamically and also in in the other skills necessary be it counseling be it mediation you know be it um you know leadership skills um you have other staff members because it's not only the imams mm. you know I, I would say for example at lewisham um the center coordinator you could say you know those that are kind of at the heart the admin staff they're like the heart right without them a lot will disappear the volunteers you know, the volunteers, a lot of the work done is done by volunteers. Mm-hmm. They're not even being paid, you know. Um, uh, so everyone has to be on board and the vision has to be there. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's kind of like maybe the, the crux of, of the issue, the, the, the layer beneath the other layers. What's the vision of the masjid? So if the masjid was established with a vision of being a place for prayer mm-hmm. for our community, mm-hmm. um, then unless that changes, the masjid is not going to cater mm-hmm. beyond that. But if the vision behind the masjid is we want to bring Islam to the masses and we want Islam to be the future of the UK, then that's going to translate into the work that's done, the language that's used, um, the decisions that are made, you know, even to a degree, the clothing that will be worn. Um, it's going to have a, a, you know, like every behind every action, there's a philosophy. You know, we all have a, a central philosophy that dictates our, our actions. And so there has to be that, that vision. And so at Lewisham, the vision is like we want Islam to be um, a mainstay in the UK. You know, like 
why don't we have the aspiration of Islam being um, the number one religion in the UK and the religion of English and British people? That is our, our goal. Why is that our goal? Because we believe that Islam is best for mankind. You know, we believe we have something beautiful and we want to share it with those that haven't yet experienced it. And so when that's the vision, you know, the, the goal is kind of like streamlined. So where do you stand on, you know, because I often come across Muslims who say, look, we don't really need, they don't mean we don't need converts, but, you know, or reverts. Their argument is that, you know, we have to get our own house in order first. There mm. aren't too many problems within the Muslim community. How do you weigh up the work of Dawah to non-Muslims and the work of Dawah to Muslims? That, that's a very interesting question. And, and, and I think like the premises, you know, there's an indication there. But like, so if, you, if we say um, um, we don't really need new Muslims and we need to get our house in order before we kind of invite other people in, mm. who said that the house belongs to us in the first place? Right. You know, who, who decides who the house belongs to? And, and this is one of the issues of many masajid, the assumption that, that Islam belongs to a certain people and it leads to a cultural monopolization of Islam. Mm. You know, and, and that's, that's, that's totally wrong. Um, our role, our, it's, not even, it's not a role, it's a fard. You know, our responsibility is to bring Islam to those that we interact with. Yeah. You know, that's our responsibility. And it's something that we may be questioned for on Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And so we don't really have the choice of asking whether or not we should be bringing people to Islam. We have to bring people to Islam. Mm. And if we want Islam to really kind of take off in the UK, who is it that's going to take it there? Who is it that's going to take Islam to that next level where Islam is entering into the homes of, of, of um, like native British people, if you like, you know, English people, etc. Mm. Wherever Islam goes, um, Islam takes on the, um, the, the flavor of, of the land. You know, you go to Africa, Islam looks African. You mm. go to the Middle East, Islam looks Middle Eastern. You go to Southeast Asia, it looks Southeast Asian. Mm. In Europe, what, you know, what is, what's, where is Islam going? You know, what is it going to look like? What is, what is it going to sound like? It's not going to sound like, um, you know, the minor, minority communities that may have brought Islam here. Mm. Um, it, it will sound like the people that live here. It will look like the people that live here. And so we don't really have... The, the, like we don't have the, the right to answer that question. Yeah. I, don't, I don't think it's fair for us to say, you know, let's get our house in order first. So we should let people die and go to Jahannam whilst we're trying to get our house in order. Yeah. And, and how long is that going to take? We've been waiting for a long time. Mm. You know, we've been here for how many, how many um, generations now? Mm. You know, so I think um, it should be more, what is our main goal and responsibility? And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't need us anyway. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to establish Islam and, and give aid to Islam. And Islam is, is the future without a shadow of a doubt. Yes. Like nowadays you see those that are, they've historically been anti-Islamic, anti-Muslim. Yeah. And they're even saying like, you know, Islam is perhaps the last vanguard against the degeneracy that we see now taking a grip of, of society. And so we would be foolish to not kind of utilize this opportunity and say, yeah, look, this is the last vanguard here. Jump on, 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 onto the boat and save yourself from, from the floods that are going to, to um, soon make their way into, into, into the, the average household. Imam Ashraf, I, I, uh, I spoke to a friend of mine who's a, uh, a, you know, a professor, university lecturer, and um, you know, he's got a, he's, he's got, alhamdulillah, he's very grounded. His view is that um, he likes to interact with ordinary Muslims, you know, people who, pray in the mosque, people mm. who've got Islamic sensitivities. But I notice 
especially with this generation, there are Muslims who go to university, who become academics maybe, or who work in 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 high in occupations in in sort of city city jobs, mm. and they become alienated from the Muslim community. And it's most notable uh, where you don't see them necessarily in the masjid in the masajid very often. How yeah. important is the masjid for our mindset as Muslims, for our, the way we we comprehend our Islam? Mm. So I think it's it's a very good question, and I think I think you can look at it from two angles. I think you can ask how important is the masjid, but you can also ask how important are those individuals, mm. because they have a role to play too. You know, because the um, the um, like the imams are not going to be um, uh, they're not going to be accessing the parts of society that those individuals are accessing. Yeah. You know, and likewise, those individuals are not going to be accessing the parts of society that imams are accessing. Yeah. Um, for example, I remember I was listening to. Um, a very interesting interview with um, Sheikh Abdul Hakim Murad. Mm. I believe it was um, Sami Yusuf who was um, interviewing him, mm. and he was speaking about um, the the issue of Islam and, and culture and British culture and Islam and, and and so on and so forth. And he he said like you know that's not really my role. I'm I'm you know as an academic, I'm not on the ground in 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 those areas. Mm. Um, so him like understanding that you know and 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 seeing you know where he is playing his part. Yes. Um, so the Muslims on the ground interacting with the working class, Muslims on the ground interacting with the middle class, you know, they have their role. But individuals that you've highlighted, um, they also have their role, a crucial role. But, but at the yeah, same time, yeah. the masjid um, is very important to them um, because it keeps them anchored. Exactly. You know, uh, the masjid yeah. is an anchor. Yeah. And not only is it an anchor, but it's also a place that provides many societal benefits. So we're living in a time now um, you'll see in, 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 in the mental health care um, sector, many individuals now are suffering with depression, anxiety, OCDs, um, you know, loneliness, um, you know, isolation, things like that. And the masjid is a counter to all of those things. You know, the masjid is a counter to all of those things. If you're seeing faces five times a day or if you're working two times a day, you're sitting, you're interacting, you know, you're smiling, you might go and grab a tea or a coffee with someone in between the prayers. That itself alleviates much of the suffering that the average person in in these built-up societies faces today. Yeah. Um, and it also is very important because it reminds you of your purpose. You know, it's very easy to become, as you become engrossed in this dunya, you lose your purpose, you know, like a tree. The further rooted you become, yeah. the the harder you become, and the, the, the more difficult it is for you to kind of uproot yourself and detach yourself from this dunya. Mm -hmm. But if you're constantly going to the masjid, and you're, you know, you're seeing other people praying, reading the Quran, you're hearing the, the, the odd reminder from the Imam. You know, that kind of keeps your heart um, anchored and, and, and keeps you um, directed, gives you that, that purpose. And going back to the question prior to that, if the masjid have the vision of we want Islam to you know, penetrate into all walks of life and all parts of society, mm -hmm. and then you have individuals that are you know, from all walks of life, you have people from the working class, people from the middle class, people that are in, in academia, people that are perhaps in politics, you know, and they're hearing that masjid, you know, that's going to have a major impact, you know. And, and so I think it's really important for, for masjid going forward to really, you know, think what is our vision here? You know, um, if you look, for example, if I use Tower Hamlets as, as an example, so Tower Hamlets, the amount of masjid in Tower Hamlets, I can't count. But as I mentioned, um, close to where I live, there are maybe nine different masjid, but yet we're seeing in Lewisham one masjid 
And the clo- the other masjid, which the closest masjid to Lewisham, I believe, is probably a 15-minute drive away. Um, and then you have other masajid uh, the other way. Mm-hmm. The the masajid in, in that part are quite scarce, but yet you're seeing more shahadas in, in Lewisham and, and perhaps add Brixton to that as well, Brixton, mm-hmm. than you are in, in um, Tower Hamlets. Why? Because the vision behind the masjid isn't there. Um, there is a masjid that I, I frequent in East London, I would say the vision is somewhat there, okay. and the young brothers they are um, they have this idea of let's bring take Islam to people, and people are becoming Muslim there. You know, going back to what we were initially talking about, the development of the culture, mm-hmm. you know, that development of of the culture. What is our purpose? You know, bring people to Islam. Yeah. You know, for young Muslims to be confident and to put it onto their friends, like, mm-hmm. you know, why aren't, why aren't you a Muslim? Do you believe in Allah? You know, do you believe in the last day? Because when you have a friendship, you can have those types of conversations, you know, challenge people. Why? Because ultimately, if you love someone, you care for someone, you want the best for them. And so if you have friendships, if you have neighbors and, and they don't have Islam, you're doing them a disservice. You know, so, um, so for those individuals, they have a major role to play mm. because they have access to places that the average Muslim doesn't have access to. Mm. And so for they, Allah has granted them a real kind of opportunity there. And so for them to find a masjid and anchor themselves to that masjid is, is really important. I think one really one final question for you. I mean, we see that although Islam is growing, alhamdulillah, and you know, through the works of, aided by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, through the works that brothers like you do in, at uh, imams like you do at Lewisham and other places in the country, we also see a societal, a political backlash against mm. Islam. You know, the conservative government, and even the Labour government will be the same. Yeah. You know, they're very fierce against Muslims and they, you know, they don't even hide their animus towards Islam sometimes. Mm. Uh, we see that with the Home Secretary and the way she talks about Muslims and the way she talks about migrants. And it's obvious that she's really referring to Muslims, Muslims here, yeah. right? Um, so we've seen that in British society. Are you hopeful for the future of Islam here in, in Britain? So I think it's a really good question. And I'm, I'm, I'm really happy that you mentioned that point because I wanted to touch on it, actually. And... Um, I think what we have to remember is that the politicians do not have access to the masses like we as Muslims do. Right. You know, and so we don't really need to worry about political narratives and uh, media narratives as long as we're doing what we should be doing on the ground. Mm. And there are instances um, that, that I can recall that you know, prove this. The Grenfell um, Tower incident. Yeah. So we had um, non-Muslims on the news saying if it wasn't for the Muslims, um, we would have died. You know, so this was a, a tower block. Exactly, the tower block that burned fire, down, yeah, yeah, caught fire. Yeah. Um, may Allah have mercy upon those I that mean, passed away. Yeah. Um, and during Ramadan, and so the Muslims were awake. And some some Muslims, they went around knocking on, on their yeah. non-Muslim neighbors' doors, telling them, get out of the building, there's a massive fire. Yeah. And so they were saying, like, if it wasn't for these Muslims awake, fasting, we would have passed away, you know. And then you had the Muslims on the ground doing all of the charity work. Mm. You know, and the non-Muslims were recognizing that, saying like, these people have been here giving us food, giving us drink. That's what changes minds, you know. And so when you have a narrative, a political narrative, which goes against the narrative on the ground, the people are going to trust those that are showing them that love and that care. Um, and I think that's a, a really important, you know, um, uh, point that we need to kind of focus on as Muslims. If we do our, our work on the ground, we don't need to worry about the narratives that are coming from the top. But the problem that we have is that we are very um, um, restricted to our own people. 
you know, like whether it's ethnically or, or, or as Muslims, we focus on our own people. We don't think too much about, um, you know, the non-Muslims. What can we do to kind of show non-Muslims what Islam is? And also just being good humans, mm-hmm. you know, like um, now with the, the rise of living costs and so on and so forth, we have some very wealthy Muslims, alhamdulillah. What are they doing to alleviate the, the issues that people are suffering from, you know? Are they going into uh, non-Muslim communities and, and, and giving charity? And, and if they aren't, why not? You know, um, one of the, the categories of zakah is ta'lifu al-qulub, mu'allafatu al-qulub. Although some of the fuqaha, they would you know, suggest that it's no longer um, relevant, but it's there you know, in the Quran. So if, you're, if we, we say, okay, not with zakah money, but sadaqah. Um, so if we focus on the ground and we do our job properly on the ground, then we don't have to worry about what's happening in, happening in politics. And also we have to realize that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised to aid um, Islam and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses men and women to do so. And so the question that we should ask ourselves is not really um, what will the future of Islam be like in Britain, but what part do I have to play in the future of Islam in Britain? Because we can't, we can't um, worry too much about the consequences you know, or, or the outcome. You know, for us as Muslims, the outcome is irrelevant. It's the part that we played on the way to the outcome. You know? If I um, am calling to Islam and I'm trying to show people what the truth is, but people refuse to accept Islam, and I'm kicked out of, of the land that I, I reside in, I was still successful, you know, just like Nuh alayhi salam. Mm. And if I call people to Islam and people embrace Islam and, and so on and so forth, and, and it becomes a Muslim population, the success isn't any greater than the first success mm. because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala doesn't take us into account for the outcome, rather for the effort and the action that we take on the way to the outcome. Mm. Um, but in saying that, I'm very hopeful for the future of Islam in Britain. In fact, I, I think... I believe and I hope that the future of Britain is with Islam and not only Britain, but Europe. Um, I believe that Islam has a major part to play in the future of Europe. Um, and, and, and I really want to see the young brothers and sisters, um, although I'm not, I'm not too old myself, but like, you know, the younger generation take it upon themselves and, and really, you know, take this kind of responsibility upon themselves and study the deen um, and, and take the deen where it needs to be taken. But on that point, if you don't mind, if we did just touch upon an area, which is um, the role of social media. Yeah. And, and I think individuals that use, use the social media platform have to be very conscious of the way that they use it. Um, so, for example, we had new Muslims and they were advised, listen to this individual, come back a few weeks later and say, oh, everyone online is saying this person is like this, this person is like that, this person, so where do I go? Yeah. Alhamdulillah, they have a, a place they can come back to and, and ask for guidance. But when you have a new Muslim or a newly practicing Muslim and they go online, they find someone that's really helping them. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe they have some mistakes, but what human doesn't have mistakes? Yeah. You know, which man do- hasn't made a mistake in his or her life, um, uh, man or woman? And also, um, you know, you find even the prophets made mistakes um, that, that didn't affect the revelation, yes. you know? So... You have a, an individual listening to this person, the person is benefiting them, the person is helping them along their way to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mm-hmm. and someone throws a wrench in the whole system and says, No, this person is a deviant, this person is this. They've probably never heard the term mubtadi' in their life. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, um, a new trend where you have individuals referring to other Muslims. Like a Muslim who fears Allah yes. would never refer to another Muslim with certain terms. Yeah. You know, I, I won't mention the terms because I don't want to make it about other yeah. people. Yes. But 
a Muslim who fears Allah would never use certain terms to describe another Muslim, even if they differ with them. Mm. And and when you have new Muslims who came to Islam for one truth and they find the Muslims are fighting online and 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 you know using despicable terms and it can be very off-putting, you know. And so those that use social media really need to think about the way that they the, the language that they utilize. Mm. Language like a word can start a war and a word can end a war. A word can start a marriage and a word can end a marriage. But yet we're so loose with our tongues online. Yeah. Um, and it can also be those that are in the political arena. Sometimes the language that they use can be quite inflammatory. And the the reason behind that is because they're speaking to a particular audience. You know, in their mind, they're addressing a certain audience. Yeah. But the words that we use online are open to everyone. You know, everyone has access to those words. Yeah. And so... The, um, the online world can play a major part, positive or negative. And you mentioned earlier Andrew Tate, mm. you know, the impact Andrew Tate definitely he had an impact. Yes. You know, I believe many young men have become Muslim because of Andrew Tate, whether you agree with Andrew Tate's views or not, it's besides the point. And in relation to the views and, and uh, um, the actions of Andrew Tate, you know, um, he, he's a person who has become Muslim. And so we have to kind of give him that space, yes. Yeah. And yeah, we can, we can disagree with things. But to have that maturity, you know, to have that emotional maturity, political maturity, and that intellectual maturity to understand um, the, the context, you know, the remit within which we are, are working. Mm. Otherwise, it becomes very sticky and very, very quickly. And it can even lead to people leaving Islam. Okay. You know, some of these online debates have led to people leaving Islam. You know, you're debating someone about an issue which is so, um, what's the word? Uh, intricate, mm. you know, an issue of, of theology, aqidah, which is so intricate, it's irrelevant to the masses. Mm. And you're making that the, the crux of your, you know, your online presence. Mm. But yet people are, are, are suffering in their homes. You know, people are, are, are suffering with disbelief, you know, like thinking about the way we use our time and the direction that we take as Muslims, mm. um, that's going to have a major role to play in the the, um, the 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 relationship between Britain and Islam in the future, I believe. Yeah. I mean, do you, do you encourage many of the? Because you you obviously come across lots of young Muslims. Yeah. Um, and and that space, what you described there, is a phenomenon amongst young Muslims who mm. may be uninformed about Islam. Yeah. But they they then take it upon themselves to be the guardian of Islam, and they attack this scholar here or there. Is that yeah. something you advise them? You know, very early on in your interactions with them, that you know, be calm when it comes to interactions on social media. Yeah, you, you have to be wise because you, you don't want to say to a person, don't listen to this person yeah. and don't listen to that person. Yeah. But um, generally speaking, we encourage um, people to learn face-to-face. -face. Yes. Online learning is problematic in, in any area, I believe. Yeah. And especially when it comes to the Islamic sciences, there, there's, you know, barakatul talaqi, as the ulama refer to it. As Yeah, you know, yeah. the companionship, the, 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 what happens between you and the teacher where you take the information from the mouth of the teacher. Mm. Um, and that's our tradition. You know, the Prophet ﷺ took from Jibreel ﷺ, the Sahaba took from the Prophet ﷺ, all the way up until our times today. Yeah. And, um, and if you look at where the Christians went wrong, you could suggest that it was in the cutting of ties between the disciples, you know, um, as, as they refer to them as, and, and the followers of, 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 um, of Isa mm. So I advise um, new Muslims and newly practicing Muslims to be very careful um, in, in the way that they take information online. And we always advise them to to um, develop um, a relationship with a masjid that offers, um, you know, face to face services. And again, it goes back to the importance of the masjid. Yeah. You know, the masjid is not a place of prayer alone. The masjid is a place of prayer, a place of strategy, a place of learning, a place of um, 
social interaction. Um, you know, the, the masjid is, is it should be the heartbeat of a community. Um, to, to the extent that certain communities used to build their houses around the masjid, you know. And on that point, a sister space, the importance of a, a female prayer area, mm. um, learning area in the masjid. Um, and, you know, you go into the mental health issues that people are facing. The masjid can very much alleviate the, those issues if they provide the space of alleviation, the spiritual place for, for women to, to attend. Yeah. Wait, Imam Ashraf Dabus, Jazakallah khair very much. It's, uh, it's been a fascinating discussion today. Please remember to subscribe to our social media and YouTube channels and head over to our website thinkinmuslim.com to sign up to my weekly newsletter. Jazakallah khair. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.